In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event called Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. Again, that's lls.org slash bigclimb. Welcome to another episode of Wizards After Dark. Talking talking like some, some actual basketball news today. It felt like last week there was kind of a point where we were like, oh no, there's really not that much to talk about. And Ben Stanek came on the podcast and we kind of went through some hypotheticals on who you would we would bring to the bubble if they really restricted the bubble and how essential is the Wizards' most essential personnel. And we talked about some, you know, Bradley Beal hypotheticals and all that, but we have some real stuff to discuss today. There's Bradley Beal's kind of pseudo been in the news, like in a way that like people have been a little bored, so they put him in the news, but like still actual news. And Bradley Beal's been in there. He went on Showtime's All the Smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, John Wall's done some local charity work. And we've got like actual basketball playoff news, like real, real basketball playoff stuff and, and stuff where the season might be coming back. And we've got some more information. So they're looking like they might be able to restart the season at Disney and two months or whatever it might uh, end up being recording this one on late Tuesday afternoon and on the Skype line, I've got Alex Schiffer who covers the nets for us uh, at the athletic. How's it going, man? It's wonderful to have a uh, fellow alum of America's uh, greatest university on here. Not, not just a Mizzou alum, but you know, both of us being from the New York city metropolitan area, you know, when, when I got to Missouri, there was only about 50 people a year going from, New Jersey to Missouri, I think that number's grown. I think New York, it was about 100. So dial it from Missouri alum to the Northeast. We're pretty rare company for one another. Yeah, I mean, they, look, this isn't just me, but they say that the University of Missouri is uh, the Harvard of Columbia, Missouri. So that's not, that's not me. That's just kind of what other people say. So, I mean, I'm not going to turn that down, you know? Yeah, I, I given the, the journalism pedigree of the town, I, you got to believe it for the truth, too. Yeah, I mean, you got Columbia College there. Prime, yeah. prime NAIA hey, competition. Don't sleep on Stevens. Oh, Stevens. I forgot about Stevens College. That's true. Prime NAIA competition. Did you cover Columbia College games when you were at Mizzou? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm trying to remember. Exa- I, I think I had the Columbia College golf beat, actually, as my secondary beat in addition to high school football my first year. So that, I, I was like the only reporter. There was, there was that Columbia College coach that just retired. Bob, Bob Berkshire. Bob Berkshire. Yeah, I'm like the only I'm like the only journalism alum that went into sports that hasn't interviewed him for anything. <laughs> yeah. I interviewed Bob Berkshire. I covered Columbia College basketball. 
I still remember like the 2010 Columbia College NAIA roster with like back to the basket throwback conventional center six foot five Greg Stegman starting at center for that team. I remember that whole team, that whole team. Oh God. No one listening to this uh, podcast. You know what? I I was going to say no one listening to this podcast knows who Greg Stegman is. But what I really hope is that there is there is one person, like one person who is listening to this podcast who went to an NAI school and somehow played against Greg Stegman and remembers this reference. There was There was a kid who played basketball at a local high school that I covered when I was like 20. And... He tweeted at me like a few years ago about something that I wrote. I was like, dude, I I covered your high school. Like I covered you when you were the leading scorer at Fulton High School. And it was such a crazy overlap of worlds. And I'm really hoping that happens right now. I hope hope so for your sake as well. Am I right, though, that uh, Bob's son is an NBA assistant or a G League assistant? I could have swore that that was a thing a little while ago. Quite honestly, I have absolutely no idea. I have, okay, I'm I have, pretty sure I'm right. I have, I have no idea. That being said, there's a reason that I'm having you on today. I want to talk to you about, about something that I'm sure Wizards fans heard about because it was all over the internet a few days ago. And we're, I didn't write anything on the Bradley Beals net stuff because I just didn't think there was anything worth writing about from my perspective and I know you didn't write anything for the site either um but but I I I think it's worth talking about on the podcast and um I'm just gonna read what the report was so this is from um Stefan Bondi who covers the Knicks and the Nets for the New York Daily News and has been covering the NBA for a long time um so he reported that the Nets have had and they've quote internally discussed ways to acquire Bradley Beal. Uh, he said that the Nets are looking for a third star. He included in the story that, uh, you know, they have to match salaries if they want to go after Beal. The Nets' best assets are Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. Now, I do not think at all, if you click on the link and you read the story, Bondi does not at all sensationalize. He includes quotes from Bradley Beal saying he wants to retire as a wizard and saying he doesn't want to be traded. And he doesn't at all say that the wizards want to trade him. There's no sensationalizing. It's good reporting. All he reports is the Nets are interested, or at least the Nets have internally discussed the possibility of acquiring Bradley Beal, which is what you have to do before you're even interested. Like that's the step before being interested in acquiring Bradley Beal, right? Which which is already before the point where you have to say, well, it takes two teams at least to make a trade and the Wizards don't want to trade Bradley Beal and Bradley Beal doesn't want to be traded. Um, But of course, the internet runs away with this. Is the Nets want Bradley Beal? What if Bradley Beal went to the Nets? Um, From your vantage point, now I literally just said Bradley Beal doesn't want to be traded. The Nets don't want to trade or the Wizards don't want to trade Bradley Beal. So we're not discussing this as like, a, you know, a real thing that's on the verge of happening. It's not. And Bondi never reports that it is. But from your vantage point, do you all get the sense that the Nets are looking for a third star? Like, do you get this sense that that the Nets are internally discussing things like this? I, I think yes and no. You know, um, 
it's interesting because there had been talk about how the Nets wanted to see the team and what it looks like with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving fully healthy before making any moves. And I mean, obviously, you know, this free agency class, whenever we get to free agency, uh, it's average at best, I'd say. I mean, outside of Anthony it's horrible. Davis. Who, it's horrible. Yeah. You don't have to be nice. Yeah. So, so the only way to upgrade the roster is through trade. But um, I also think that, and, and I think the Nets know this a bit, is that what makes them a title contender next year is their depth. And, I mean, you look at what the Nets had and didn't have this season. I mean, and when they would play the Milwaukee's and the Lakers and the real contenders, how they were, you know, 9-10 deep, and a solid 9-10 deep. I mean, next year, if they were to re-sign Joe Harris, you're looking at DeAndre Jordan, Kyrie, Durant, um, Karras, and Joe Harris, and then you're looking at Dinwiddie, Garrett Temple, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, you know, and, and maybe Nick Claxton or Rodion Skrooks. I mean, that's a solid 10 guys that, that could really make them a contender. And, you know, to sacrifice, you know, you'd have to assume, I mean, this is me floating a trade, but, like, I mean, what, what would the Wizards ask for? I would say Karis Levert because, I mean, there's no point in trading for Dinwiddie when they have Wall under that contract. You know, Karis Levert, Allen, and maybe two first-round picks might make the math work somewhat uh i don't even think they do that really yeah wow i don't think what do you think it would take i mean they don't want to here's the thing here's what makes this conversation tough if i put myself in their shoes they don't want to trade him like they they just extended him because they want to see um how it will work once john wall is back and healthy which john wall just did a conference call with us today to talk about stuff that he's doing for his charity which by the way john wall is his foundation is basically giving a ton of money to help pay rent for people who live in War 8, Ward 8 in D.C. who can't pay their rent because of all the furloughs and layoffs and things that are happening now, which is a pretty amazing thing, how active John Wall is in the community and specifically in Ward 8, which is obviously the the um, the low, in the lowest economic bracket consistently of, uh, of D.C. And, and there are a lot of economic struggles there and to be able to help so many people in that community so consistently like he does is a pretty amazing thing. Um, but John Wall said today when he spoke to us that he's 110%. He's healthy. That's what he said. So the Wizards have said all along they expect him back at training camp next year. He was practicing before they went, you know, before the season went on hiatus. I imagine if they came back and they started practicing again for real and they did some training camp and they picked up and played regular season games or the Wizards participated in that Playoff plus thing they talked about. John Wall would be practicing with them. They want to have a situation where Bradley Beal and John Wall are together. And Bradley Beal doesn't want out. Like Bradley Beal wants that too. So if a team doesn't want to trade a star and a star doesn't want to be traded by that team, you're going to have to make an offer that's not like you can't just make a fair offer to make that trade happen. You have to call them and blow them. You got to be godfather. Yeah, you got to blow them out of the water. You got to make an offer that seems unfair on your end, which is why this isn't happening. You know, that's why they didn't trade Davis Bertans. Yeah. They got offers at the trade deadline that got them that were first round picks going back to them. And I'm sure the teams making those offers thought, okay, this is fair. Davis Bertans is is a rental. He's a free agent this summer. He is a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous shooter. Might have been the best shooter in the NBA this year, but. He has his flaws. He's flawed defensively. He's not like a ball handler or a creator. He's a tremendous role player. 
and we're giving up a first-round pick to rent a tremendous role player. We think that's fair. But if the Wizards don't want to trade him, they're not looking for fair. They are not looking for anything, which is why you have to give enough to not just make them say that's fair. You have to give them enough to make them say, okay, we're looking for that, and that's fair, which is an extra step you have to take them. So like two firsts and Karis LeVert is just like, that's that's not good. If I put myself in the Wizards in the Wizards shoes, like that's not going to be enough, especially because those aren't good firsts. I mean, they were they, they would want good firsts with that. You know, the Nets are you're giving them Bradley Beal. And all of a sudden you got a team with Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal. Like that's a team that's picking in the late 20s, potentially consistently. So I just don't I don't really see an offer that could happen that would make the Wizards completely change their mind because I'm just operating out of the position with everything that I know. And and this is not just me guessing. They don't want to trade Bradley Beal. They just don't. And Bradley Beal just doesn't want to be traded as much as everybody wants to trade him. <laughs> Bradley Beal doesn't want to be traded. And uh, they'd have to get a monster offer to make it happen. Monster. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, it, what was interesting to me about it is that so far with this this Nets, whatever you want to call it, with ever since they got KD, Kyrie, and, and DeAndre Jordan, I mean, they were all friends. And obviously beforehand, you know, they play on the Olympic team together. You know, Bradley Beal's kind of like the outlier there where, you know, I, I'm sure he knows those guys. But, you know, to my knowledge, they're not like BFFs or anything the way those three were long before they ever signed with Brooklyn. So, you know, I mean, like there's been, you know, people have floated about Serge Ibaka because of his relationship with Durant, potentially coming to the Nets at some point. But, you know, the, the thing that kind of surprised me about Beal is that he wasn't really, he makes sense from what, you know, has been talked about before. But, um, but in terms of the, how this kind of came together to begin with, you know, he, he's kind of on the outside looking into that, you know, he never played against any of these guys in college. Um, you know, so it, it obviously from a star uh, and a and position standpoint, it makes sense, but not really. He's not really one of those guys, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, everything in the league changes so quickly too. Everything in the league changes so fast. Yeah. And I know I just said Bradley Beal doesn't want to be traded. He doesn't. I don't think the Wizards, even if he did, even if there was like a slight inkling. And we just had no idea about it. Like maybe he hadn't even said anything. But even if there was like a slight inkling, which again, there's a hypothetical I'm making up of like, well, maybe he wants to be traded because everybody knows how it's not like an NBA player thing. It's a people thing. People change their minds. Think circumstances change. Like there's a scene in Parks and Rec where uh, Amy Poehler gets accused by one of the congressmen of, of, of uh, or city councilmen of flip-flopping. She says, I didn't flip-flop, I acquired more information, and then I changed my mind. When I was a kid, I thought that chocolate milk came from brown cows. Then I learned about chocolate syrup, and I changed my mind. Uh, and circumstances can change before next, next year's trade deadline. That being said, the beauty of Bradley Beal signing the extension is I still don't think you need to trade Bradley Beal right now. Because let's say the Wizards start next year and it just goes to hell. Like, John Wall just doesn't look the same. 
he didn't recover from his Achilles. And he and Beal are figuring out how to play together, and you can just tell immediately it's not working. And they can tell immediately it's not working, and the team is losing like crazy. Like, worst-case scenario, right? And now they're dug into this roster because they re-signed Davis Bertans, and they're literally 10-25, and 25 and we're approaching the deadline. The Wizards can still trade him and get a ton for him because you can get two postseasons out of him then. And what's really most important is getting two postseasons out of a guy when you trade for him. So so I don't think you absolute like you can play that game and still trade him before the deadline if it goes to crap next year. Like there are ways to handle this where you don't just have to rush and do it this summer. So I'm not necessarily of the belief like the Wizards, because they were 24 and 40 this year, that they have to just go and trade him this summer. I just I don't think you have to be that extreme about this is what they have to do and they have to do it now like I think you can be patient about it and still get a really good deal for that guy because he's good enough to where teams are still going to want him they're still going to want him and still give up a lot for him in February you know yeah and, and the elephant on in the room kind of with all this too is and I, I can't speak for the Wizards on this end but I mean the the cap situation for the Nets this summer is already going to be really interesting and we're going to learn really quick how deep Joe Sy's pockets, for Wizards fans, Joe Sy's Nets owner, president of Alibaba, which is um, kind of like an Amazon corporation out in, out in Asia, um, how deep his pockets are, how much of the luxury tax he's willing to pay because of the roster they carry, and then also trying to re-sign Joe Harris and what his asking price is going to be in this market. And then also trying to fill some of the other holes on the roster. You know, they have, they have no perimeter defenders or really any quality defenders, especially if they lost David Nawab to an Achilles injury. So, you know, you take on a guy like Bradley Beal. I mean, now you're carrying three huge salaries in Irving, Durant, and um, Bradley Beal. You know, how do you make the rest of the roster work to where you can still fill out a quality roster that, that can support those guys. And, and, you know, the other elephant in the room, and obviously Bradley Beal's been their healthy soul career, but Irving and Durant are coming off major injuries. And, and while the early returns on, on Kevin Durant at least are good, I mean, we don't know what he's going to look like, and neither do the Nets. And maybe he's more equipped for a roster with more depth than necessarily star power because of uh, – because of how how his game might change from from the injury, and and you know the thing about Joe Harris that I think is why he's perfect alongside Durant and uh, and Kyrie. And but a disclaimer: this is not a uh, I'm not calling Joe Harris a third star, but he's a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands to be very effective. He's a three point specialist, catch and shoot. He spaces the floor very well, and you know Bradley Beal is obviously a, a big time scorer, and. I already kind of wonder how it could work with, with the amount of touches that Durant and Kyrie require and, and just, you know, with Beal's game, I, I kind of wonder how you could keep all three of them happy. Well, so I'll tell you a weird a weird juxtaposition. I want to get your thoughts on this. All the predictions you see for John Wall are incredibly negative, right? Towards Achilles. So people wonder how he's going to come back from that. Totally reasonable. Most of the time when guys tear their Achilles, almost all the time when a guy tears his Achilles, he's not the same. Much of the time, he's not good anymore. And John Wall is an explosive point guard, 
A lot of his productivity was dependent on the fact that he was one of the most explosive, physical, athletic players in the league, and he was really 27 the last time he was healthy, and now he's going to be 30 when he's coming back, and so you kind of have to expect some sort of natural decrease in athleticism from the ages of 27 to 30, and then you add in the injuries, and it gets worse. And of course, John Wall didn't just have the Achilles. He's had bone spurs, and he's had knee problems, and all those other things factored in. I get it. And you know what? I'm okay with that conversation, with the conversation of how it is with John Wall. That's what happens when a guy gets severely injured. He's going to have to come out and show that he's still really good in order for people to buy it. It's not the expectation. That's completely fair. I'm not I'm not saying otherwise. What I think is a little weird is that the conversation around Durant is not really the same. Now, I obviously, the starting point is that Kevin Durant is a much better player. Kevin Durant was arguably the best player in the world when he got hurt. He is a top 10 player all time on the road to being a top 10 player of all time. Remarkable, the most offensively skilled seven footer ever. Um, I get all of those things, but it is weird that when people talk about oh Kyrie and Durant, I just don't really see that much of like, well, let's, let's just see how Durant is. Like, I, I just kind of want to see the same way that I say, I just kind of want to see what Wall is. I don't know what he's going to be. Nobody can confidently say what Wall's going to be. I don't know what Durant's going to be. Like, is is that? I, I I feel like we don't really have that conversation as much with Durant because it's almost like he's so good that he's got to be immune to an Achilles rupture. But I feel like it's got to be put into that context too because I just don't really know for sure when you're coming off an injury that serious, you know? No, I, I agree completely. And, and I've even said, you know, obviously there's been speculation um, of will Kyrie or Durant return this summer, assuming the season gets resumed, which all indications are pointing to it, it returning in some form. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that could happen for that, if it were to if it were to happen, is that the Nets would have some idea as to who fits alongside him and who doesn't and what what he looks like, how close is he to his old self or is he completely a completely different player. And I agree that, you know, I, I think that there's been so much. It seems like, you know, the Nets went from the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade to what led them to this dark age. And uh, after that failed after one year. And now, you know, Kenny Atkinson gets them relevant again. And they get these two stars, this immediate push for a third star. And I, I think that it's, a, you know, the it's a little bit rushed just because, as you said, you know, Kyrie Irving's had a ton of injuries. And, you know, like I, I've been a firm believer that trading Spencer Dinwiddie would be a very bad idea because Kyrie has not never played a full season. He's only played over 70 games, I want to say, once or twice in his career. And, you know, I, just history shows he'll probably miss time next year. I, I think that, you know, you're taking a big bet on him given his history. And, uh, you know, Fred, I don't know about you. We're, we're from the same area. I grew up a New York Mets fan, and uh, I learned at a very young age just what sports injuries do to your favorite team. Um and uh, that's kind of shaped why, as a reporter, I'm very uh, conservative when I come to predicting or, or, you know, talking about guys coming off of injuries. But uh, I, uh, I just think that, you know, they're already leaning on two guys who are coming off of major injuries. That's why the depth is so important there. And as you said, any trade is going to require a godfather offer to where you really strip your bench of, of your future assets and your young and up-and-coming talent. And that's what they did the first time around with the – trade for uh, Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And obviously Bradley Beal is a lot younger and, and technically hasn't even entered his prime uh, compared to those two. But, 
you know, that you look at what those draft picks became, and I think they would much rather have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum than uh, than what they got out of that. So I, I think that it's a it's a careful balance. Again, you know, are they going to go all in for the short window, or you know, do they want to keep guys like Harris LeVert around, given his age, and maybe be able to contend even after you know the the Durant Kyrie era ends, whenever that is, but. I, as you said, I, I think the I don't think people are talking enough about just the injuries these guys are coming off of. Being quarantined with people, you uh, you learn a lot more about them, and some of that is how they smell. And if you are a man and you're looking to smell good, you've got to check out Hawthorne. I got some of their soap, body wash, deodorant, and lotion in the mail in a package, really a beautiful package, and. It is great. It got this giant bar of soap that I've been using. It not only exfoliates, but it makes your, your skin just smell and feel so good. It's easily the best soap I've ever owned. And I've owned a lot of different soaps, but this is easily the best soap. And it's a great gift for Father's Day. So they've got cologne, they have soap, they have all kinds of body wash and lotion, and they have like hand cream and things like that that'll just make you smell great. I think one challenge that, that men have is when you walk into a store, maybe you're going to find cologne, maybe you're going to find a uh, good smelling soap. I don't know what I'm looking for, and I'm sure that you guys don't either. And so Hawthorne makes it super easy. You take a two minute, two minute quiz when you get onto their website, that's hawthorne.co, when you go to their website, and you take the quiz, and it actually asks some like random questions and some questions specific to you, and it kind of spits out this algorithm that gives you your kind of soap and your cologne scent which is really cool and it is so helpful to me because i don't want to have to choose that (laughs) i really don't care about choosing what it is but hawthorne does it for you and it does it right so listeners check out hawthorne at hawthorne.co that's hawthorne with an e dot co not dot com hawthorne.co and use the promo code athletic to get 10 percent off your first purchase that's hawthorne.co and use the promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co Yeah, you know, we did, I did a story with James Edwards and Tim Cato for, that went up today, so went up Tuesday morning. You can check that out, by the way, on the Athletic NBA. And we did a draft, 10-round draft, really 11 rounds, 10 players, one round for coaches, and we did a, a, a draft for the 2025 season. And Kevin Durant ended up being the 29th pick out of 30. 36 year old Kevin Durant. And uh, I think James took him. James took him. I wasn't even considering Durant because I'm just like, he was the oldest player drafted. And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily a bad pick. Like he's Kevin Durant. I mean, if, if Kevin Durant's not hurt, then yeah, okay. That's fine if he's the oldest player drafted. He's all caps, Kevin Durant. He is unbelievable. But the Achilles is just like, I don't know how he's going to be next year, let alone in five years. I mean, I just, I wonder what he's going to be like. It's it's fair to wonder. Um, you watched the All the Smoke Bradley Beal interview? Yes, I did. Any... Uh, that kept me occupied during my uh, time waiting in the bank drive through today. Don't go to the bank the day after a holiday. Really bad idea. Oh, yeah. So so now John Wall and Bradley Beal 
have both been. I'm thinking about it. Maybe I'll just have James on because in that in that 2025 draft, draft, Brad Brad went undrafted, and obviously so did Wall. So maybe maybe wow. maybe I'll have James on and we'll we'll just talk about that for 20 minutes and discuss discuss the draft. Maybe I'll do that later this week because we're doing a part two for Thursday. By the way, if you read that part one, you want to see part two. Part two comes out. It's we're having John Hollinger basically grade the draft and evaluate our picks. So that that's already written and John's putting it up on Thursday. So if you feel like there wasn't enough analysis in there, it's because we got another like 3000 words of analysis on that draft coming out on Thursday. So you'll have enough content. I promise. Uh, maybe I'll have James on and we'll do, we'll do a thing and, and talk about even, even make it a little more Brad centric and talk about some of the other guys who didn't get drafted. Uh, what'd you think of Brad on all the smoke? Any, any moments you loved? I, I thought he was entertaining. Um, you know, I, I've always been a huge Steven Jackson fan. I, I think he's underrated, pretty funny, and, uh, and you know, one of the better maybe role players you don't hear about uh, when talked about, at least from my childhood. But um, I, uh, I thought he was good. You know, I, I learned a lot. I mean, I, uh, you know, we talked earlier about the Mizzou connection. I, I always knew Bradley Beal just in college as the guy that didn't go to Missouri in one of their many in-state recruiting misses. But, uh, you know, I, I found it interesting about it. I didn't know how his mom disapproved so much of him going to uh, to Florida and wanted him at Kansas. Um, I uh, I thought that was really interesting. You know, I, I thought him talking about his relationship with John Wall kind of reinforced everything we've discussed today about how they both want to see if they can make this work when uh, whenever next season starts before any of that stuff comes into the mix. Um, and... Uh, you know, him talking about how he spent his downtime a little bit. Um, I'm trying to remember the show he said he got into because I hadn't heard of it before. But uh, Blacklist. You know what I'm talking about? Blacklist. Blacklist. I, I hadn't heard of that, so i got to put that on my list. But um, I, I thought he was good. I thought uh, I thought he was insightful. At least, you know, again, I only know so much about him outside of basketball. So uh, I can't think of too many, you know, comedic moments. But, uh, but I, I learned a lot. It was educational. I, I enjoyed... I'll throw Matt Barnes under the bus a little bit. I did I did enjoy when Brad told his story and this this bleacher report threw this up there and I saw people aggregate it and it's like this is oh, I'm gonna sound I feel like once an episode now I haven't I have once a podcast episode I have a moment where I sound like a like an old man, but I guess this is just what I'm becoming. Uh I I really enjoyed seeing everybody aggregate based off of Matt Barnes's reaction when when Brad told the story of of his draft and finding out that OKC you know was talking about trading trading Harden to Washington for for him and what the pick was or for the number 3 pick and then and then taking him and uh him saying to Matt Barnes and Matt Barnes saying see I love that cuz cuz that's something nobody knows nobody knows that and it's like man I have covered OKC and I have covered Washington. And I promise you, you can check my Twitter mentions for both teams every single time the Wizards and the Thunder play. I promise you people know that. <laughs> that was reported like eight years ago, a million times by everybody. Uh, and every single time Bradley Beal was when I was covering the Thunder, every single time they played the Wizards, all Thunder people were like, go get Bradley Beal. And now that Bradley Beal is you know, a name that people throw into trades all the time. It's like I have Thunder fans who tweeted me about Bradley Beal whenever stuff comes up, just people who followed me there. I promise you, 
people knew about it. I was watching. I was like, wait, am I nuts? Like, am I, am I actually going insane? And I, did I dream all this? And then I looked, I'm like, no, nah, everybody. Michael Lee reported it like the day of the draft. And I just, it entertained me seeing like clutch points aggregate it. I got a, a CBS Sports notification about that, uh, like things you didn't know or whatever. And uh, I, I thought that was amusing. Food for thought. You know where my brain went when they brought that up? Who could you? Who would you say would have won that trade had their their stat lines roughly stayed the same? Who would I say would have won that like- trade? I mean, I I still think if you're trading James Harden, you lose the trade. But it but it wouldn't have been looked at as the same way that it's looked at now because you're. I mean, OKC just would have looked so different. Also, like, I don't even know what happens in the long term of OKC. You know, you get Bradley Beal, that means Steven Adams isn't there, and he's obviously been an integral part of their identity for, like, seven years now. Uh, so I don't really know what happens. Like, does NS Canner become your starting center? And then how do you move forward with your future? Because, like, your team is kind of not really that modern. If NS Canner is your starting center, you know, just do you end up winning a title because you have... Bradley Beal and like Bradley Beal really didn't come on as this good of a player to like 2018 which is after Kevin Durant left on this timeline so if Bradley Beal is not if Bradley Beal is not really him like this version of Bradley Beal yet in tw- in the summer of 2016 when Durant leaves and OKC doesn't have a title like does Durant still go you know like and if Kevin Durant leaves and Bradley Beal comes into his own now, like, what goes on with Russ? I mean, there are just so many what-ifs and changes of, of what it is, you know, what happens with, with Beal and OKC. And, like, I wonder how... I mean, I think Harden and Wall would figure out a way to play together, even though they're both ball-dominant guys. I mean, Harden and Chris Paul figured out a way to play together. And Chris Paul's different than Wall because he's he's a superior off-ball shooter, but... They figured out ways to do it. I, those, I'm a big believer that like when you have two fantastic players, even if they're both ball dominant, they can figure it out. You want really good players who can handle the ball more than one really good player who can handle the ball and a not as good player who can't handle the ball. I'll take two really good players who can handle the ball any day. So um, I do think that conversation tends to be a little bit, a little bit overstated. Uh, I think Harden and anybody can can figure it out, at least in the short term. But like, you know, I I guess Harden, Washington would probably be looked at as the winners. Because like, prime Harden and Wall, prime Harden, prime Wall, like 2016, 2017 Wall and Harden, like that, that's potentially an Eastern Conference Finals team in the East, right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, I agree. The the two things my brain went on, and you kind of touched on both, was I, you know, I mean, what was the biggest return in the Harden trade for OKC? Kevin Martin, aside from the other assets. Well, the Stephen I mean, Adams pick. I Stephen and the Stephen Adams pick, yeah. So, I, I think the interesting thing would have been, um, and you kind of touched on it. Would young Bradley Beal and that little trio of Russ, KD, and and Beal have shown enough to keep Durant? in Oklahoma city. That's the hypothetical. We'll never know the answer to. Um, 
But as you said, given the state of the East, when that would have gone down, um, you know, and we don't uh, domino effect. You think that the Wizards can get maybe one more piece somehow through um, through trade, and this would have been before Wall signed the deal he's currently on. Um, you know, so their their cap situation would have been day and night. You know, I, I definitely think that that was that would be a team that could make the conference finals, and then who knows who they're playing, and all bets are off. But the the what could Bradley Beal have maybe done in Oklahoma City to maybe keep Durant there is the is the as you said the question that that would be worth asking. Yeah, but I don't even know if it's like they're a different. They were at different stages of their careers. You know, Harden was already a six yeah. man of the year at that point, and Bradley Beal had never yeah. played a second in the NBA. Bradley Beal in twenty sixteen. Yeah is not, you know, he was talking about in that All the Smoke interview that he was he was watching video of him from that 2017 playoff series against Boston. He said that the team has been, he and John Wall have been going back and kind of leading film sessions in, which I thought was interesting, leading film sessions of that 27 Boston series and kind of going back and looking at it and pointing out what playoff basketball is like. And I could honestly really relate to what he was saying. He said he was going back and looking at his game in 2017. He was like, man, this is garbage. I was hesitant to shoot. I just wasn't, he was unimpressed with himself. I can relate to that. I look at my writing from five years ago. I'm like, this is trash. This is so much worse. That's an easy, uh, you just missed an easy opportunity to say your writing is still trash, by the way. Uh, but I look back at my stuff from. I wouldn't do that. I'm not, I'm not Mike working on. I wouldn't do that to you. But I like look at my stuff from five years ago. I'm like, this is so much worse. Like I would never structure this story this way nowadays or things like that. And, uh, and Brad was saying like, and that was 2017, you know, that was, that was when Kevin Durant's already in golden state. So like, is Bradley Beal good enough then? It's not Bradley Beal's fault. He was like 22 then, you know? This is this is he was 22 years old in the summer of 2016. He's not old enough yet to be close to his prime. So I I don't even know if it he was still a good player, but he wasn't an all-star yet, let alone a 30-point scorer. Yeah. And as as he touched on as well in all the smoke, you know, because John Wall had injuries during his rookie year, he said how his rookie year was a um baptism by fire because they kind of threw him right in expecting to reduce immediately and he would have still been third wheel to Durant and Westbrook, who, as you said, at that point were still the you know two of the most established scorers in the league. And it would, as you said, it would have been night and day from that aspect. But um, but no, I, I I agree, and and I mean with Harden, as you said, you know, I mean no one could have predicted Harden would become what he is now. I mean he, you know, when he left Oklahoma City, as you said, he was a phenomenal player off the bench. But I mean, you know, what he is now. I, and, you know, the way Houston and, and how they're looked at offensively around the NBA, I mean, the domino effect of all that, I, I, I mean, I didn't see coming at the time. Um, and, and, you know, I also, I didn't trash you because for use that comment about your writing. Uh, I've spent a lot of quarantine cleaning my room, and uh, going through my old writing has been painful. I've gotten rid of a lot of extra newspapers I had, Missourians, man-eaters from, uh, from college, and even some places I, I had internships at. And if I was on the fence of, like, do I keep this? Do I like this story? It's like, oh God, just get that out tomorrow morning's recycling. So I, I can relate to you, which is why I didn't I didn't take that shot. Well, another interesting element of this too is that Brad, a common theme of Bradley Beal's career is development by emergency. So 
the first time that at like any sort of a like air quotes high level that he was like a lead ball handler, lead pick and roll ball handler in an actual game that mattered was I think it was his sophomore year of high school. Like he made it that far. He was a he was a D1 major D1 recruit to Florida and all those places without even having done that yet because he was such a good like runner off screens and and you know that's why everyone compared him to Ray Allen in those days with the way he ran off of screens and the way he shot and all those things. His teams did not run their offense through him. And the reason that they ran so he was playing in a tournament in Peach Jam down in Atlanta. It's an AAU tournament when he was 16 years old. They brought him up and had him play on his AAU team with the 17 and unders. Um, and they were missing a couple of guys. So he was basically filling in with the 17 and unders. They were trying to qualify for another. Maybe they were trying to qualify for Peach Jam. I'm trying to remember this. But they were playing an AAU tournament. And they were trying to qualify for another tournament. They wanted to qualify for Peach Jam is what it was. So they're playing in another tournament. And they had to make the finals in order to qualify for this other tournament. So they thought. So their head coach booked a flight out of the city to save some money that would have been during the finals because they just figured we can make the finals and if we forfeit the finals, winning this tournament doesn't actually matter. Then we make it into Peach Jam, which is the big the big AAU tournament. Uh, they win. They, they have a little bit of an upset. They make it to the finals. They win in the semifinals. They board the bus from there to go to the airport. They find out shortly before the final starts as they're on the way to the airport that turns out they messed up. They actually have to win this tournament in order to make it into Peach Jam. So they pull a Yui on the highway and turn around and go back to this tournament where they have no game plan. They have nothing. And they just get dressed and they take the court and the coach says, his name is Corey Frazier, extremely successful AAU coach. Um, yes, I know Corey. Yes, who, who, all right, because you're, you've covered basketball, you know, college basketball in Missouri. So that makes sense. Extremely successful AAU coach is still the head coach of that AAU team, which is now named the Bradley, now Bradley. the Bradley Beal Elite. Yep. Uh, and then it was the St. Louis Eagles. And they take the court, and Coach Frazier tells Brad, all right, we clearly have no game plan. Uh, you're going to run pick and roll the whole time. And Brad had never done that at any sort of decent volume in a highly competitive game before. And Brad went off and he went crazy and he won him the game. And after that game and they won, they made peach jam. They won the tournament. And after that game, uh, they started using him like that more. And they started really honing in his ball skills and running pick and rolls and all those sorts of things. And that was kind of how his development on the upward trajectory started, but that was development by emergency. That was discovered by emergency. And it was a very similar thing to the way that he kind of developed those skills in the NBA. Now, it was a little bit less uh, high schooly in the NBA. It was Bradley Beal was an off-ball player who succeeded running off screens and catch and shooting and that kind of stuff. And then John Wall gets hurt and Bradley Beal has to fill in. And then the next year, John Wall gets hurt again and Bradley Beal has to fill in. And then the next year... John Wall is out for the entire year because he has a torn Achilles and Bradley Beal has to really take over. And Bradley Beal has gotten significantly better running pick and rolls, distributing, passing, facilitating, leading an offense, all those sorts of things you have to do in major, major part 
because he's been forced into those positions because of John Wall's injury, or in major part because there was a scheduling mistake, and so Brad had to run pick and roll in high school. And it's all this development by emergency. Now, getting back to the original thing, which I'm saying in now a very convoluted and very long way, um, if Bradley Beal is in Oklahoma City, that development by emergency might not happen in the NBA because you have the consistency of Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. So how does that affect Bradley Beal's development? Uh, I don't know, but it's very plausible that Brad develops. He might still be an awesome player because before he started taking over offense, he was on his way to being, he wasn't an all-star yet, but he was on his way to being an all-star. But his style on the court might be totally different. He might be closer to a, a Clay Thompson style player then really now he's more of a similar style to James Harden, where he's just a combo guard who you run everything through in the offense and gets to the line a ton. But he might be more of a Clay Thompson type of shooting guard. The The way that he comports himself on the court might be totally different if he's there too. It's just going to affect his style. Like there's so many different wrinkles to this hypothetical, you know? I, I agree. Uh, I don't want to try to get too off topic because you mentioned Bradley Beal and his AAU team. Um, I uh, I covered Bradley Beal Elite a lot when I was in Missouri. Worked for the Kansas Star because all of Missouri's major recruiting targets are um, are on Bradley Beal Elite. They usually get the best players in St. Louis and right across the river in Illinois. I don't know if I've ever seen an NBA player at an AAU tournament as engaged with his program as Bradley Beal. Uh, he sat on the bench every game I was there. This is in Indianapolis last April. Um, and uh, this is after the Wizards season ended. And um, literally after every kid came out of the game, he took them to the end of the bench and personally coached them. He complained on every play with the reps. In the huddle, he would be alongside Corey Frazier drawing up plays. I, uh, you know, A lot of AAU teams have an NBA player's name on it, and sometimes that's really it. But um, at Peach Gym, I've seen Chris Paul in action doing all that. And uh, Bradley Buell, after seeing him last, it's the only personal interaction I've ever had with him. But I, I was extremely impressed just with how how serious he takes his AAU, his now named AAU team that was the St. Louis Eagles when probably uh, you uh, they had that story you just told. But uh, anyway, I don't want to get too off topic, but just I, I thought it was relevant to what we were just talking about. Just how how uh, how he really is invested in in that. Well, that's very on brand. He loves his AAU team. He loves he loves that stuff. He loves working with kids. He's got a thing in DC where he kind of adopted a a local school here and he's kind of a mentor to to a bunch of the a bunch of the the kids in that school it's an all-boys school and um it's a new all-boys school I think it's like four years old and and you know helping a bunch of those kids be able to go to college and with you know providing them with resources and just got them all laptops and all those things so that makes sense and he talks about his AAU team all the time. If anyone is ever from St. Louis, it is the first thing he will bring up. Um, so that that makes perfect sense. John Wall is very similar, by the way, because John Wall loves high school basketball. John Wall lo- knows more about high school basketball than than like anyone I've ever met. It's crazy. I didn't know that. I'm, I'm trying to think if he. Do you know if he has an AAU team? I can't think of that off the top of my head. Yeah, he's yeah, Wall, he's got one I in North Carolina. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I John thought. Wall loves high school basketball. Loves it. He's got a tournament in North Carolina. Um, he just he 
he he loves following high school basketball. He has nuanced thoughts on high school recruits and all that. Like he can he can break down high schoolers' games for you. Watches all these AAU tournaments. Like goes to the darkest parts of the internet to stream random high school basketball games, girls and boys high school basketball. He was talking my ears off about um shoot uh Paige Paige Buker, the the girl going to UConn next year. Talking my ear off about Paige Buker recently, just before the shutdown. Uh, just about how good he thinks she's gonna be. I mean, he loves high school basketball. I could I could easily see him when he's done playing. I I mean, he says that maybe he wants to be a GM. I guess he he could try to do that. But his you can tell his his passions are so much at like the lower, more more grassroots levels of basketball. I think he'll definitely do something in basketball, but I could just see him loving to do something in like a grassroots level, work at the AAU level, high school level, do camps, that kind of stuff. I just feel like he he loves that stuff. He absolutely he's incredibly passionate about it. So I could I would be the least surprised person in the world if he did something along those levels too. He he and Brad are very very similar in that sense. The more you know. I didn't know any of that. I knew John Wall played at Word of God Academy because I want to say my high school played them uh, when I was in high school at a tournament when we had Carl Anthony Towns. But I, uh, that's all I knew. You got some time to talk about playoffs real quick? Playoffs? Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's do it. I was going to try to do a Mickey Mouse impression <laughs> of uh, going to Disney World, but I can't. Uh, I don't have the voice for that right now. You know what? Jim Jim Mora doing the playoffs voice is kind of a Mickey Mouse voice. That's true. Playoffs? It's it's a little Mickey Mousey. Um the last time we talked, you were very down on the NBA coming back. Uh I take it you have changed your thought after recent developments. Uh, yeah, I mean it it seems like they're gonna try to find a way to do it. Um Every, everyone I talk to in the league, it's weird because no one can give me an answer on what it's going to look like or how it's going to be. Either no one can give me an answer and then the people that are giving me answers are all giving me different answers, which means that nobody knows what it's, what it's going to look like exactly or how it's going to be. A lot of people are thinking Disney World, obviously, that's out there. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to do this Playoff Plus tournament, if they're going to do it play-in tournament for the eight seed, if they're going to do seeds one through eight, if they're going to have some regular season games. Like, I don't I don't think anybody has an idea about that. Like, exactly how much personnel you can bring. Can each team bring 35 people, 40 people, players included? What's the deal with doctors? What's the deal with tests? What's the deal with just, like, essential workers who don't work in basketball, don't work for a team? What's the deal with groceries and food and all those sorts of things and just kind of being able to have a life for three months when you're just in Disney World for that long? Um, so does everyone just stay at like the Lopez's house? Like what what are the actual logistics of it? I think they need to figure all that out, which is why I people are talking about it like, oh, it's happening soon. It's happening soon. Soon is relative. Like I don't personal prediction, like I would be, I would bet on this happening closer to August 1st than July 15th. Like, I, I just, I think they have more stuff to sort out and it sounds like they want to do a, a training camp locally and then a training camp there as well, which is going to make this, make this, you know, take a little while to set up and everything. And they just have so many things to set up, but 
it does sound like everyone I talk to is like, yeah, but they're going to work it out. Hey, everyone's just, people just keep bringing up the money to me. Costs way too much money not to have a season. There is so much money that the NBA wants to make that it will not be making if they don't play another game this year. And that is the thing that's constantly brought up in every conversation I have. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I have heard a lot of the same things you have, especially with the amount of money being at stake, as, as you said. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting. I don't know how it's gone for you, but when I've talked to people around the league during all this, you know, early on the talk was, yeah, you know, it, it might come back, but we've seen the last of the regular season this year. And, uh, and then, you know, there was a little talk after that of, well, you know, maybe we get a little creative. You know, who knows what Adam Silver's thinking. You know, he, he's got an open mind. I might walk that back a little bit. And uh, now it's more of like, well, it seems like every option's on the table. I, uh, you had a tweet today. We, we talked a little bit about off-air about some of these formats. I, the thing that I just can't get over, if they were to do the play-in tournament or uh, the playoff, uh, plus I think it was discussed in Sham's article last week. Our, our colleague Sham Sharani wrote about the, the survey that GMs have been sent about potential scenarios for, the, uh, for finishing the season. And, uh, you know, the East and the West this year, it's not like they're, you know, the nine and 10 seeds are breathing down the seven and eights necks. I mean, it's, it's pretty concrete. These are the top 16 teams and, and the playoff teams, uh, the non-playoff teams, you know, it's pretty established that who they are as well. I, I just think it's kind of cheap to be a playoff team the entire season, like the Nets and the Magic or, you know, in the West, I know it's been a little more jumbled, but the Grizzlies... And I'm um, trying to think of who the seven seeds off the top of my head. I don't think it's the Mavericks. But um, anyway, just being a playoff team the entire season and then losing your spot potentially because of this changed format, I uh, I just think that's a little cheap. You know, I, if they want to do some of the regular season games for the regional cable checks, I, I get that. Because as, as you said, I mean, money's making this whole thing go round. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that you'd rub a lot of people the wrong way of losing a playoff spot because of this format that only got introduced because of the pandemic to begin with, you know, teams didn't go into the season, you know, with the idea that they could be a seven seed late in the year and then lose that because of this tournament. Um, I was, I was right. It was Dallas in the seven seed, but um, that, that kind of, I, I think they might rub some elbows with people if, if that's the way they go. That's just my two cents. I hate the idea of having to play in tournament for eight. I hate it. I don't even hate it in general. I just hate it for this year. I get that you want to bring in extra money, but like you want to you want to maximize if you're going to do this, you want to maximize the amount of revenue that you're bringing in. I understand that. First of all, the more teams you bring in, the more complicated this whole process is. If you have 20 teams compared to 16, well, that's 25% more team personnel that you're bringing in, right? which means more testing and more logistics on bringing in food for them and maybe more you know people who are who are just working at Disney World to help out with all the logistics that are necessary with that. So like there's that. But just concentrating on the basketball. You are and I tweeted this earlier today and then I listened to Zach Lowe's podcast with Woj and I didn't even realize Zach said said a similar thing, but like you are already risking that this playoffs, and this isn't the fault of the league, they're right to suspend the season, but you are already under a risk that this champion is going to have an asterisk next to it 
What's up for debate right now is what the size of the asterisk will be. I personally believe that if the Bucks win or the Lakers win or the Clippers win, a team that we look at is like they're supposed to win. They're a legit championship contender. We thought of them as a legit championship contender before this. And then they go through and they breeze through the playoffs. They win a title. I think that'll be an asterisk the same way that the 2012 Heat during a lockout season or the 99 Spurs during a lockout season kind of have the asterisk. It's like, yeah, it's part of the deeper conversation, but when we name champions and we're just making a list of champions, we don't we don't really acknowledge it because it's kind of what was supposed to happen and it confirms everything. If the Grizzlies just reel it off or, or the Mavericks just reel off wins and win a title, we're going to talk about that with a huge asterisk. Now, I believe the NBA should be doing everything it can to limit the size of the asterisk. And if you throw in a gimmicky playoff structure, you are just adding to the size of the asterisk. You are highlighting that thing and going to your to your font size and you are blowing that thing up. And I don't know why you would actively do that if you're the league. I mean, I get that you want to bring in a little bit extra money, but you are in turn hurting the credibility of your playoff system. The one thing that I'm good with is just reseeding every screw in conferences and reseeding everything one through 16, because that's a thing that I think everybody is on board with as a fair system. And the only reason you don't do that is because of travel so that you don't get like the heat and the Lakers in the first round because travel wise, it doesn't work. Now you don't have to worry about travel. So doing that for one year, I don't think hurts the integrity of a playoff system. But having a play-in tournament or having all 30 teams do it and just trying it out for one year is like, I guess if you're already under the mentality of like this huge asterisk is going to be there no matter what, what the hell, try it. I guess that's a reason to do it. But I don't necessarily believe that that's going to be the case. They've already played 64 games. We know who the great teams are. And if one of those teams wins it, I don't think it's it's going to be like, a. I think it's going to be acknowledged eventually as a legitimate champion. I just don't see why the NBA would want to mess that up. Uh, I, I agree completely. And, and my whole thing with it is, as you said, you know, with the amount of people we're already talking about for the bubble, I, uh, you talk about the amount of people we you'd have to bring in with, having every team play some semblance of games, you know, what, what I've said to people is whatever, you know, when in, in life in general, whenever you do something the first time, you're never that good at it. You know, first round of golf, we talked about some of our old stories. Um, you're never good at it. And, you know, coming back from the pandemic, there's probably going to be things that come up because things always come up with this stuff that either was unplanned or not thought of, or, or, you know, became a bigger deal than you thought. Um, I've said to people, if, if they were to go straight to playoffs, to already keep the number of teams and people there small, and even go to five games in the first round and get teams like the Grizzlies and the Magic and the Nets, who you know aren't looked at as, as big-time contenders, out of there and have closure to the season, I completely understand it because then you're left with the main teams that we've been talking about all year, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Lakers – and you have a lot more resources and ability to keep a closer eye on them and, and limit any issues. And by bringing everybody back onto the bubble, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like, a, as you kind of said, with, with the money aspect, you know, you're already kind of pushing the envelope as it is, given the situations going on out there. You know, how much are you going to push it before you regret it? And, uh, and I, I just think that given everything being discussed, I mean, what, you know, the two teams that I point to when people ask me about the regular season or, or expanding the playoffs – 
if you're the Pelicans and you have this very bright future with Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, this young core, what's the benefit of bringing them back for a slim chance at, at some Cinderella run and bigger risk of losing one of your big pieces to an injury that could cripple you in the next season and beyond? And, and with the Warriors who are already eliminated from the playoffs and are going to be contenders next year when they get Steph and play back fully healthy, um, what what do they have to gain by coming back? I mean, you know, I almost said to people that if they were going to do regular season games like this and teams want, you know, you saw Damian Lillard say that he wouldn't play. I, I would say to bring up your two-way guys and, and, you know, the G League team guys that maybe, you know, were late-round picks or, or just late picks in general that you didn't get to see and, and see what they could do in, in, and instead of putting your, your big names at risk and, and risk losing your shot at next season this season. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's how the Wizards are with John Wall. That's John Wall. It doesn't if if the Wizards if they come back, they could come back and play all eighty two games. They could come back and go straight into a play in tournament, which by the way, the Wizards would definitely be in because they're ninth in the East. So if you extend the playoffs at all in the Eastern Conference, then the Wizards are going to be playing games because they are the first team out of the playoffs right now. But John Wall's not going to play in those. He's not going to play in those because you you don't want him getting hurt for, I mean, what's the run? Maybe, maybe you win. Like, again, you're not, you're not beating the Bucks. You know, maybe, maybe you, you win a, a play-in game against Orlando or whoever you end up playing against. You, you play well. Like, what's, what's the upside? You win that and then you just get crushed by the Bucks and, and you risk potentially re-injuring him. And then all of a sudden, John's missing the start of next year. Like that's the last thing they want. So so you you gotta just suck it up, let him be healthy, and move on to the following year. And and that's 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 what a lot of teams do late in the year. And just because there was a hiatus, I don't think a lot of teams are going to handle it much differently, especially with the with the guys coming off serious injuries like Wall or Durant or those guys. No, I agree. I uh, I I would be surprised if the NBA were to come back with an extended regular season in any capacity. And and I understand the regional cable checks probably mean a lot more to a smaller market team than say like the Warriors or the Lakers, but. Uh, I just don't see how the, the the reward outweighs the risk, especially as you, if, if a big name gets hurt, that they're just shooting themselves in the foot marketing-wise and, and, and exposure-wise next season. And, again, you know, the, as you said, there's only probably four or five teams that, that are real players for the title in regular circumstances. And, you know, I, I was even thinking, who's a team that we haven't mentioned that, you know, we've talked about Milwaukee – really is the only viable team in the East and then in the West, the Lakers and the Clippers. I mean, you know, would, would, which team would you say that's a top five or so team in either conference would get, you know, would, would the Nuggets get an asterisk in your book? Would, would the Raptors or the Celtics? I mean, there, there's really not many teams I think are going to get the benefit of the doubt here to begin. No, with. I think you're right. I think over time you get more and more the benefit of the doubt because people forget kind of the circumstances around all of it, you know, but if it's like a top three or four seed over time, it gets a little bit better. But but in the moment, like, yeah, the Raptors and Celtics are getting an asterisk. And I mean, anyone is getting an asterisk because this is just an insane season. But the Rap- the Raptors and Celtics are getting a different one than like the Bucks or the Lakers and the Clippers. The Bucks and the Lakers and the Clippers are just in 
And and I'm not even talking about who should win. I'm just talking about the viewpoints. Those are the three teams that are looked at as the three big time contenders. And what we're talking about right now is not actuality. What we're talking about is is what's perceived, right? We're talking about reputation. And those are the three teams that are the expected teams to win. Those are the three teams that would surprise people the least if they won the title under normal circumstances. So those are the three teams that would make the the championship seem the most legitimate, right? And then everybody else just kind of follows. Like, yeah, I'd put Denver and Toronto and Boston and Houston, put all those guys Miami. in the same tier. Yeah. yeah, Miami I put below them. Um, you know, Utah just lost Bogdanovich, so so they're in a they're in a tier below. Um, assuming that he he wouldn't be able to play, OKC's okay, probably in that tier too. So like, it's and then you got the Indianas of the world and and all that. So like, it's it's tough. It's tough. Philadelphia, like I don't know what to make of Philadelphia because everyone thought they were going to be awesome and then they really struggled and then it's like oh maybe they come back and they realize their potential you know i don't know what so much of it is going to have to do someone is going to show up wildly out of shape someone i I guess they have four weeks to get into shape so maybe we won't even know who shows up the most out of shape but (laughs) someone someone is walking into training camp like with way too high a percentage of body fat someone really good is going to do that for sure um but yeah i mean i don't I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. We kind of got to see it happen and decide in the moment, you know? Yeah. How, how out of shape would Dennis Rodman look if he were still playing <laughs> during all this? Hey, he would look like he could have, he could pass for a Santa Claus. I hey, like Sean Kemp legendarily came back from the 99 lockout, just totally out of shape and just never looked the same again. Never. He's a good one. Portland fans, uh, Portland fans still boo Raymond Felton. Well, not still because he's not in the league anymore. But for years following, Portland fans booed Raymond Felton because Ray Felton showed out of his one year in Portland was the lockout year, and he showed up out of shape and did not have a good year, and he got booed every time he stepped in that building just because of that. It was one of the weirdest fan player rivalries in the league, and it was it was somehow incredibly entertaining seeing Ray Felton play in Portland for like a five year stretch there. I will always my childhood take is I don't think the Knicks should have ever traded for Melo. I uh, I thought Ray Felton, Gallinari, and Amari Stoudemire that little trio uh, was a better trio than than trading for Melo. That was my seventh grade take back before they were big deal. Well, Portland fans probably retroactively agree with you. <laughs> uh, you got well, at least I know I'm loved somewhere. You got anything to plug before we wrap up? Uh, not really. I had a story today about, uh, about how the Nets talking about the NBA season resuming, they have seen the largest shift in their odds to win the whole title in Vegas since the hiatus started. Um, a lot of people have believed or or have taken the bet of Kyrie and Durant coming back and leading some fantasy, uh, asterisk title that we just touched on. And, uh, when the season got suspended, the Nets odds were 300 to one today, they're around 60 to one. Because of the surgeon, but fifteen percent of NBA bets since uh, since this all went since this all started with the pandemic have been related to the Nets winning the title. Uh, so that was my story today, 
And then uh, the story I have coming later this week for the TV Blitz that we're doing. I've had the story on my radar actually for over a year, but um, Donovan Carter was a seldom used linebacker at uh, UCLA or, you know, didn't really get to show everything he could do. And um, I learned that the big thing of going to UCLA for uh, football is that you get asked to appear in a lot of commercials because of the proximity to Hollywood. And he later became Vernon Littlefield in the HBO show Ballers that I had a lot of friends have controversial take on how much they liked or didn't like. But uh, just an interesting story on how he really kind of lucked into the job. And now he's this big time HBO actor. He, the, the best quote he gave me was, I went from making $12 an hour bartending to $2,500 a commercial to $20,000 an episode of Ballers, dot, dot, dot. And then someone taught me about taxes. <laughs> Great. So check check that out. You can check out this uh, this 2025 draft I did with James Edwards and Tim Cato over at the Athletic NBA. It went up on Tuesday morning. You can check out part two of that, which is going to go up on Thursday. That's John Hollinger basically doing analysis and throwing all of the picks that he doesn't like under the bus. And that's a fun read that's already written and, and ready to go for Thursday morning. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark. Tell your friends to subscribe to Wizards After Dark. If your friends are Wizards fans and they're looking for a Wizards podcast, or even if they're not looking for a Wizards podcast, they don't even know what they need in their lives and what they need secretly is a Wizards podcast. They're not even aware of it. Let them know that uh, just about Wizards After Dark and tell them to subscribe and go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, leave a review. That always really helps. Um If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, you want to read any of the pieces we just mentioned or any other pieces on there in any sport of any team, you can go to theathletic.com slash wizards after dark and you can get a 40% off discount on an annual subscription. So that takes it down to $36 for the full year and that gets you full access to the site. Again, it's theathletic.com slash wizards after dark for 40% off on an annual subscription, which brings it down to $36, and that gets you MLB, NFL, NBA, everything. Michael Lee and David Aldridge and Sam Amick and Shams and Kem Rosenthal and Jason Stark, and I've said it about a million and one times on this podcast that I'm just obsessed with our baseball coverage. I think our baseball coverage is unbelievable. Um, So come, check that out. If you want to subscribe, 40% off, $36 for a full year of awesome sports coverage. And uh, in my very biased opinion, I think it's completely worth it. Uh, I will be back certainly by next week. I'm going to hit up James to see if maybe we can do a little podcast for Thursday going over that draft. And maybe we'll we'll talk disproportionately about, about Bradley Beal. Um, if we don't do that podcast, then I'll be back next week. Either way, I'll talk to you guys soon.